Good morning, everybody. Yeah, thank, happy Mother's Day. It is a great day, a great day to be at church, and I'm so glad you're here. And it's um, great to have uh, Carrie here, he's right here, uh, hanging out with us, and um, we're so thankful to get to share the day with you. You know, so much of my life has been defined by being a mom. We have four children, they're all adults now, and they're all married to just wonderful people that I get to um, be a mom to also. So now I feel like I have eight kids. We have seven grandchildren. And um, yeah, I'm, we're, I'm so, so grateful. So, so grateful for that. And I want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you because I know everybody here has a story and they're all different. And my mom was just an amazing mom. She showed me love in a thousand different ways. She seemed to know how to do everything. She would sew clothes for us. She could make great meals. She knew how to fix stuff. She just seemed to be able to do everything. And so I basically learned to do nothing because she did it all. And then when I was a teenager, she found out she had cancer, and it was very advanced when they found out. And then she died when I was a teenager. And so Mother's Day can be bittersweet because I love being a mom, and I love so many women in my life who are moms. I want to celebrate that. And at the same time, I admit, there's some hard stuff that goes along with it. And so I just want to, you know, whenever there's an elephant in the room, the best thing to do is just name it. And so I want to say that for many of you, Mother's Day is a hard day. Uh, there's hard stuff that goes along with it. That may be um, infertility issues that you're going through. It may be that you have lost a child and gone through that unimaginable grief. It may be that you have lost your mom. And uh, while I understand that you probably feel like I do, you don't want to take any of the joy away from the moms, but at the same time, you're hurting. And so I just want to say, um, that's what church is for. That's what this family is for is to be here for each other and be able to share what's going on in our lives. Now, my mom, not having a mom uh, into my, you know, since she died before I was married, before I had kids, all those things, I have always had some insecurity that shows up unexpectedly. Uh, sometimes, I mean, when the least expected times, when there's stuff that I feel like I should know how to do, but I don't, uh, stuff I never uh, picked up, and it's just small things. I remember uh, one time putting some flowers in pots, doing some gardening, and a friend was with me, and I dumped like three bags of dirt into one giant pot. And she said, wait, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm filling it up with dirt. She's like, yeah, but the plants are only going to be at the very top. You know, you know that you like throw in some plastic stuff in the bottom, right? You know, some milk jugs, some old flower pots. And I was like, um, oh, right, right. Or... When I was at our son's baseball games when they were in Little League, and the moms were talking, and I was saying, how, yeah, I just can't get those grass stains out of those white pants. Why do they have white baseball pants? And they said, well, oh, well, um, bleach usually works, doesn't it, for you? I thought, bleach? Nobody told me about bleach. I mean, sure, I could have looked it up. I could have, it just didn't occur to me. There's all kinds of things that haven't occurred to me um, and that I've missed in having a mom. Not just the knowledge, but of course, Mr. on all the special days, all the love, all the you know, having children, all the times that I wish she was there and wish I could get advice from her and get a hug from her. 
thought about that and realized that God designed us to be in families. It was his plan. He could have just made each one of us as he made Adam, you know, just out of the dirt. But for some reason, he designed for all of us to have a mother and a father, imperfect, but yet a mother and a father, and to grow up in families. Why? I wonder why he did that. And as I thought about it, I realized that it's because he was trying to show us our relationship to himself. He was trying to give us just a glimpse of understanding about that parent-child relationship that we have with him. In Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching a crowd on the hillside in Galilee, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, this is how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how he started out. Our Father. The very first thing that Jesus wanted to tell us about God was that he is our Father. When we pray to him, approach him as our Father. And our relationship to God is that he is our parent and we are his sons and daughters. And that's the basis of every interaction that we have with him. And as I became a mom, I realized that there were a lot of things that I had perceived wrongly when I was a kid. So if you're here and you're an adult and you're listening to me, you can see it from both sides, can't you? Because when you're a kid, you think that a lot of the decisions that your parents make are just wrong. I mean, if we have a differing opinion, it's because they just don't get it. They're not cool enough. They're not with the times, whatever. But as a parent, all of a sudden, my parents got a lot smarter because I realized that the no's, the limits, those boundaries they'd placed in my life were all coming out of a place of love. See, being a parent has exploded my understanding of God's love like nothing else in my life. Because every move of God recorded in the Bible, every single one, is motivated by love. Cover to cover, that's what you'll see. Beginning to end, God loves. He is love. And everything he does is motivated by love. Now, sometimes that looks like kindness and patience, but sometimes it looks like discipline and correction. See, God, our Father, shows us what love looks like. And that is the biggest lesson, I think, for moms, for dads, and for all of us as God's children. So I wanted to just touch on a few ways this morning that God shows us what love looks like. And the first is that love creates conditions for growth. Love always wants the object of love to grow. Now, if you're a parent, you know that healthy kids grow. We know that's true, so we spend a lot of time and effort measuring growth. It starts out when they're born. The first thing that happens to a baby when they're born is they're snatched away and weighed and measured, as if that information might change if you waited just a few more minutes or another day. They want to weigh you right then. Weigh and measure. And that goes on and on. Physically, they have weekly, then monthly, then yearly checkups. All the growth is plotted on a chart, and you're told what percentile your child's height and weight is. Academically, by the time they start school, there are report cards where you're constantly on top of where they're at. In every subject, they have a grade, you know, right where they're at. That information is plotted. Why? Because everybody wants to know, are they making progress? Are they growing? Is your child growing intellectually at the right pace? And if something shows up where they're not growing, well, that's a problem. And it might mean summer school. It might mean some more homework. But 
it's important that you know everybody's growing all the time. You want to know your kid is growing. If your kid is in athletics or a band or art, whatever extracurricular stuff they're involved in, progress is always being made. And parents invest a lot of time and money to help kids grow and improve in these areas, right? I mean, it's so important. We want to make sure, oh, they're on this team, then they progress to this team. Everything seems to have this pyramid a strategy to it, to know that they're always getting better. But here's something that no one will ever measure for you. There won't be any progress supports. There won't be any grades. There won't be any reminders for this. But it's actually the one thing that your child needs the most, and that's spiritual growth. Everybody else will check in with you on physical growth and mental intellectual growth and the growth that they have in their abilities. But no one else will check in on their spiritual growth. And growing in the realization that God is enough for them is critically important. It's so important. The truth is, as parents, you're the only ones who will ever follow up on this, who ever have an eye on this for your children. There's only one who will never leave or forsake your children, and that is Jesus it's not us. We somehow manage to give ourselves this illusion of control that, you know, I know what's going on with my child. I'm on top of their schedule. I know their teacher. I'm a room mom. I do all the stuff. I know their friends. But the thing is, when your child is feeling lonely at school, when they don't have anybody to sit with in the lunchroom, when they're scared before a test, when they feel rejected, when they're not chosen at recess, Jesus is there. You want them to have that relationship where when you're not there, and you won't be, that they know they can go straight to their creator. They can take it to him. And then when they don't make the team or they're tempted to cheat on a test or they get dumped by their boyfriend, Jesus is there for them. That spiritual growth, their own spirit, they are growing in that all the time. But to have this kind of relationship... They need to keep growing in their relationship with him all the time. And that's why the best thing you can do for your child is to get to know Christ better yourself and imitate him. And as you're doing that, your kids will be imitating you. Our kids follow along in the footsteps that we thought we covered up. They are imitating you all the time. And that's why it's so important, parents, to be imitating Christ. If I'm enough for my child. If I try to meet all my child's needs, then she'll never see her need for God. Never until I'm not there and not there to train her. And so it's so important to train our kids up in the most important things. Now, if you are at Woodlands Church, guess what? There are no excuses because there are so many resources here to help you, come alongside you and help you train up your child. I encourage you, get them involved the most that you can. There will come a time, for those of you who have kids who are in grade school, maybe, or preschoolers, I want you to know that a day will come when your child will need a source of wisdom besides you. A day will come where there's stuff that they don't really want to talk to you about, and you want to be sure that there's someone in their life who will speak truth to them, who won't just tell them what they want to hear, but we'll love them enough to speak truth. And so for Carrie and I, we always try to make sure that our kids 
had people like that in our lives. And let me tell you, our student pastors, our children's pastors are amazing. We have counselors here. We have pastors who are ready and excited about engaging with your kids and getting to know them. You see, I feel like not just the mom and the grandmother to my kids, but in a way, because I love you guys so much and have done life with many of you for so many years, I feel this in my heart. I want you to know, wow, take advantage of getting your kids involved in church. This is the one relationship, their relationship with Christ, that will go through their whole lives with them. That someday when they leave the home, uh, go off on their own, they will still have that. As parents, we have more influence and less power than we ever imagined. So much influence. Our kids imitate us. They watch what we're doing. But in some ways, we're also extremely powerless because no matter how much you pray for your child and try to teach them, they still have a free will, just like we do. And they're going to mess up. They're going to make mistakes sometimes. And having that relationship with Christ is the one thing that will guide them through their lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, And now isn't it wonderful the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? You're more alive, more connected, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. That's talking about going through tough times, and let's face it, in this world, we have problems all the time. The Bible told us to expect that. We all have problems. It looks like everybody around you really has their act together. The truth is, we all have problems. Everyone around you is hurting too, just like you're hurting on the inside. And the goal for growing up in Christ, spiritual growth, is more and more and more. As I said, we see it really clearly in physical growth, mental growth, all those other things. We see, oh, we need to be growing more and more and more. But in spiritual growth, it's the same thing, more and more, becoming more and more like Christ. And so if you take the time to point out to your kids those qualities in them that are Christ-like, when they're kind, point it out. When they are, the the different things that they do to share when they're kids, um, when they share when they really don't want to. And let's face it, who wants to share, right? They share. They're kind. You encourage them. Point it out. Those are the things that we focus on. Just be sure that there's someone in their life who will speak truth to them. And then also be ready to learn from your kids. Expect to learn from your kids. Carrie and I have been challenged so many times by our kids as they have grown in Christ. We have so many instances where we've looked at our kids and said, oh, wow. Sure, there's still the other stuff that goes on, the correction, all the things as you're raising your child, but they will surprise you. They'll surprise you, and they'll show you ways. I remember one giving campaign we were doing to raise money for this building. Carrie and I were praying about what to give, and then one of our sons said, well, um, I'm going to give all my money. I I prayed about it, and I'm giving all of it. And we thought, Oh, wow. Okay, I guess we'll go back to the drawing board then. Or I remember getting in um, our daughter's car when she was um, about to go head off to college, and there were verses taped to the steering wheel and to the dashboard, and she was reminding herself of what God told her about herself and who she was in Christ. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I need to do that. I need to 
be more intentional about that. There's just so many ways that your kids will surprise you. So how do you create these conditions for growth? Well, in Deuteronomy, it tells us, it says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall in bed at night. It's telling us, okay, well, how do you get these spiritual principles into your kid's life? How do you teach them? How do you encourage their growth? Day by day, you get God's word in your heart, read his word, spend time with him yourself, encourage your kids to do the same, and then day by day as you go, their spiritual growth is exponentially more important than all the other growing that they do. And so you start acting like it, and you start planning like it, you start spending like it. I can't tell you how many kids I have known personally who have grown up in our children's ministry and they've gone through J-High, and they get to student ministry, and somewhere along the line, these are kids who are just passionate and here and, and excited about Jesus and wanting to be like him. But meanwhile, of course, all, the, all of our kids are always involved in other things. And at some point, they're invited to be on a select baseball team or a dance team or something. And I'm not knocking those things. They're great. Our kids were involved in all kinds of stuff. But the thing that I've seen that just breaks my heart is that sometimes parents think, wow, this is my child's chance. This is their chance to be big. I want to support my child. And all of a sudden, you just don't see them anymore at church. All of a sudden, they're gone every weekend because there's always a game. There's always an event. There's always something else going on. And in the process of thinking, these parents thinking that they are doing the best thing for their kid because they are really supporting them, the truth is that their child is missing out on the one thing that they could carry with them throughout their lives. And so often, I've seen those kids when they are in college, out of college, get older, and their lives have become unraveled, and church is definitely not part of their lives anymore. Christ is not any part of their decision-making And, you know, I figured out, oh, wow, you could win at baseball and lose at life. By the way, uh, you want to guess how many of those kids are actually on a pro team now? Yeah. It doesn't quite turn out sometimes the way uh, we think. The truth is we all want our kids to have that kind of rich joy and relationship with the Lord that we know will carry them through the tough stuff, the real stuff in life, the relationships, the unseen is more important than the scene. What's going on inside your kid will determine the kind of life they lead. So love them enough to focus on their character. You're the only one who will. It turns out that the small stuff that you put into your lives every day, those are the big things. The small things are the big things. There's one thing I could go back and tell myself from when I was a new mom with my first child, was that the small things are the big things. The big things, we think everything should revolve around the big days, the birthdays, the graduations, the once-a-year vacation. The truth is, it's all those little days in between that really make the difference. I found a little rule of thumb. If you're trying to figure out, is this a big thing or a small thing and a scene or an unseen, if it's Instagrammable, it's probably not the really important stuff. A good way to keep the unseen stuff from getting crowded out 
um, something practical I found in our lives is rituals, just daily habits, that scaffolding that you can hang all the other stuff on. Things like bedtime prayers. You know, I know for some people, this sounds really uncomfortable because you've never prayed with your kids and it feels weird. I get it. I grew up in a family that, you know, we never went to church. We would never have known how to approach that. But if you just remember that God is your father, And just talk to him just as you would to your own father. And you just sit down next to your child. And we started this ritual when our kids were really little. And it continued all the way up through high school for all of them. Is to just stop and pray with them. And a lot of the time we just say, hey, what's your high-low? Tell me something good that happened in your day. What was your best thing and your worst thing? You may have figured out if you ask your kids how was school, they will say fine. Like 99% of the time. You know, that was all right. That was fine. But if you really want to know what's going on in your child's life, ask better questions. And so we'd say, hey, what was your high today? What was the best thing? What was, what was your low? We'd find out some stuff that was maybe kind of uncomfortable or painful that we never would have found out otherwise. And then just say, hey, let's, let's pray. And we thank God for the good stuff and then pray about the hard stuff. In our family, something that's meant a lot to us now, now that our kids are all older, is birthdays, instead of just celebrating that they are one year older, that they've made one more trip around the sun, there's so much more to celebrate. And that is, what has God done in your life over the last year? And so everybody in our family knows that when we do family birthday, it's usually at our house. Everybody comes over, eat some food. There might be a couple presents. But the thing that every person waits for, the thing that secretly every adult in our family longs for is the moment where we stop and we go around the circle and we just say, hey, look them in the eye and say, hey, I want to tell you, I have really seen your growth over this past year. You know, I've seen the way you um, handled that tough situation at work and you've really come through it and, and you stood by, you stood your ground or you, in communication, you've, you've really learned, I, I find it's easier to talk to you or, wow, You do such a great job at always making everyone in the room feel present. And we just call out briefly, kind of we just tell them it takes a couple minutes per person. We just go around and say, hey, here's what I really appreciate about you. This is what I love about you. It makes a huge difference because I'll be honest, we don't, otherwise, when do we say that kind of stuff? We never make time to say the kind of stuff like that, that we really mean the, the true stuff, the real stuff. Everything stays at the surface. The thing about rituals that's so great is it's never too late to start new ones. So I threw out a couple of ours. You can come up with your own, whatever fits you. But I encourage you, create some rituals that you just put into your life. It's just what we do. For instance, every birthday, we don't sit around and wonder, should we do that for this person or not? No, it's just, it's just what we do. Create those rituals, your daily rituals. Stuff like when you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. You don't think about it. You just brush your teeth. I hope you do. I hope you brush your teeth in the morning. But you just, it's just something you do. You, don't, you took off the question out of it. And you just, it's just something you do. Put that kind of stuff into your life where you don't give yourself the option anymore. I found that by limiting my options, I get so much more of what really counts into my life. You know, my no's determine my yeses. And so I have to say no to some things so I can say yeses to the things that I really need. Well, the second thing that love always involves is grace. 
Love always involves grace, and our relationship with God teaches us this, and this is what we need to show as parents. You may be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. He's the one who asked his father for his inheritance, then he squandered it. He ended up penniless, sleeping in a pig pen. And when he finally came to his senses, he turned toward home. He hoped he might be accepted back as a lowly servant. And this is how his father responded. His father said, but while, and this this is what his father did, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, this parable was told so that we could understand God's reaction to us when, after sinning, we repent and we turn back to him. God throws open his arms to us, and he welcomes us back. We don't have to get our act together before we come to God. No, he loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. When our kids are small, we love them just as they are, even if they're totally helpless. They can't do anything. They make messes. You're always changing their diapers. We don't say, what? Get your act together. Grow up, and then I'll deal with you. No, we take them right where they are, but yet we expect them to grow. We show them grace in the places they haven't grown yet. Now, in this story, The Prodigal Son, you may be thinking, wait, where's the discipline? Where's the punishment for rejecting the father's plan and going his own way? Well, that happened before this verse. You see, the son has already been disciplined. He'd lost everything. He'd suffered hardship and humiliation, and that is what made him finally turn around and head toward home. It was the consequences that turned him towards home. Love always involves grace, and discipline is a key element of grace. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Discipline in our lives is a result of having a loving God. There are many times where I have headed down the wrong road and things have not gone well, and those consequences are the very thing that turn me around. And part of being a loving parent is allowing our kids the grace to fail, letting them fail, letting them make mistakes, letting them risk and grow and repent and return. It's really easy for parents, and maybe even especially moms, to want to rescue our children. You know, I have a heart that wants to rescue my child. I don't want them to have to go through hard things. I think life is hard enough as it is. Wow, if I can make a difference, if I can rescue them, you know, that's all the better. Well, this is the part of parenting that no one ever told me about. Nobody ever told me that my best parenting moments would be my toughest days. I mean, honestly, the stuff that I've done right, where I really feel like I made a hard right choice as a parent in discipline, it's hard on me. I mean, I, didn't, I don't enjoy that. Nothing in me enjoys it, but yet I love my kids. I want them to be happy, and so I realize the only way to do that is to let them learn from God and not just me. I've come to realize that the places that are hard in my life are the places where God wants me to grow in. If I end up coming back to the same problem over and over in my life, it's because I haven't changed and I need to grow. And being a parent has made me realize that 
allowing consequences to take place for bad decisions in my child's life is part of showing love for them. If God rescued me every time I messed up, I wouldn't change. I'd like to say, oh, I just, you know, I could just read what to do and I would do it. No, actually, the real life consequences are the things that change me. Consequences are my only hope. I remember getting a speeding ticket and I was so mad. I mean, the first thing I thought of, a knee-jerk reaction was, no fair, wait, hold it. You know, the, the sign, it, I, I was too close to, I, you didn't post that very well, and there was a tree covering it. And, and I had all the reasons that I was right. But, you know, it only takes a moment to realize that, wow, if, you know, if I was going to cause pain to myself or someone else through reckless driving, being ticketed is the most loving thing that could happen to me. I pray that someone will stop my children in their tracks before they make a mistake that's going to affect their lives negatively. And sometimes, for a little while, we are that person. And we have the opportunity to step in and allow the mistakes to come so that they'll change while they're young. Instead of giving them leeway, grace after grace after grace, and never the other side of grace, the other part of grace, which is discipline, to let them know so they'll change so that when they are on their own, and remember, you know, you're working yourself out of a job as a mom. I don't know any other job like that. Your whole goal is to work yourself out of a job. You hold their hand when they cross the street so that someday they won't need you to hold their hand when you go across the street. You're trying to teach them, to train them, to get them ready, to grow them up. And so when we rescue too often, it really cuts that attempt off at the knees. Then they're going to have to learn that really hard way when they're on their own and there's no one speaking truth into their lives. You see, God can always be trusted to take the long view. He knows what's best for us in the long run. He will always allow consequences if it's the best thing for us in the long term because he loves us, because he cares about us that much. And so let's imitate God our Father in that and take the long view. And when we're tempted to just go ahead and do a quick rescue, you know, when your seventh grader calls and says, you know, I left my homework at home. Can you come bring it to me? You know, before fifth period, it's really tempting. You think, oh, seventh grade, that's the hardest year of your life. If I can help a little bit, I want to do it. But you do, and then you realize, oh, in high school, when they do the same thing and they just don't bother to get their homework together, it doesn't go so well. College, mm, that's a real problem. When they have a job, and they just don't get their stuff done on time, they might lose their job. Teaching that kind of responsibility, it's hard. The hardest stuff you do as a mom, but the best stuff. And I want to say one other thing about correcting our children. Your past mistakes don't disqualify you from speaking into those same issues in your child's life. This is one of the biggest things I have seen in parents' lives Hey, none of us want to be a hypocrite, right? But that's what the enemy whispers in our ear, hypocrite. You know, I shouldn't tell my, actually, I was the same way in high school. You know, I did the same thing in college. So, you know, who am I to tell them, to correct them, to say anything's wrong with what they're doing? No, our past experience, our past mistakes as adults make us the perfect ambassador. You know, if I've made the same mistake, I'm the perfect one to say, hey, don't go that way, and let me tell you why. I know how much it hurts. 
Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you the consequences in my life. Let me tell you the fallout, the backstory. I know this seems really appealing right now, and I, I feel that because, hey, I felt the same draw, and I did it. I gave in, and here's where it landed me. And it's been pain in my life, and gosh, I love you so much, I'd do anything to help you get around that pain, even if it means sharing a story that feels kind of shameful to me, because I love you. That's what real love looks like. And pray, pray, pray for your kids. I encourage you to pray for your kids in a way that I don't understand. God hears our prayers, and our prayers move the heart of God. We write the future with our prayers. Pray for your kids daily. Pray for them. You will see God move in ways you couldn't have expected, you couldn't have guessed. And then lastly, love requires sacrifice. In Philippians, there is a great passage that... um, that I've always really uh, speaks to me about what Christ has done for us. It says, your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men. And he humbled himself even further, going as far as actually to die a criminal's death on a cross. That is what sacrifice looks like. I can't imagine the unimaginable grief of the father as he allowed his son to die a criminal's painful death on the cross for us, for for people who rejected him. I'll say right now, I couldn't have done it. I love you guys, but if you ask me to put one of my kids to death, a painful death for you, I couldn't do it. I don't know how to love that much, but God, your father, does. He loves, and in being parents and and being moms, we get to share just a shadow of what that sacrifice for your child is like, that kind of love. As a mom, you start sacrificing the, the moment you become pregnant because you give your body over to that child. I remember feeling like a host organism when I had kids that, wow, you know, who knows what's going on right now? This is just crazy. There's actually a human being growing inside of me. And then you have an infant. They're totally dependent on you. And it takes all of your physical being to get up in the night and take care of them, no matter what they need. They can't move from place to place. They can't feed themselves. They can do nothing. And so you take care of them. And then so much of your life is spent thinking about them, your mind, Your emotions, especially as they become teenagers, you're just tied up with how they feel. You're attuned to them. Well, that's how God feels with you. He's attuned to you. He knows how you feel. He knows every thought in your head before you can speak it. No one told me that my heart would go off in four directions every day when my kids headed off to school. There's so much stuff nobody ever told me, but it's given me a glimpse of what God is like. He gave Jesus. He gave his son for us. Jesus' worst day, his day on the cross, was my best day because it means I get to be with him forever. I've learned that my actions count more than my words and character counts more than my actions and how important it is to know who we are, who we are in Christ. Who we are is so much more important than what we do or what we say. But who are you in front of your kids? Sacrifice 
means that no longer can I choose some of the stuff that I would like to because I'm giving up my rights, I'm giving up my time, I'm giving up things for my kids. That's what God does for us. Over and over and over in the parent-child role, he shows us just a little glimpse of what he does for us, of how much he loves us. And any way I try to compare my relationship to my kids to God's relationship with us, I come up just ridiculously short. And then I see, wow, God, you are amazing. In 3 John 1, verse 4, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Leading your kids to walk in the truth will take more effort than you ever dreamed possible. Nothing prepares you for this kind of gradeless effort. Nobody tells you that you're doing a good job. Hey, nice job on the way you disciplined there. No, it's the opposite, right? Your kid slams the door and yells at you. Nobody tells you, hey, way to go when you pray for your kids. I had no idea how often I'd feel like a failure as a mother. How many times I think, I've blown it. Well, I don't know what to do here. And I want to tell you, moms, you are doing a good job. You're doing a good job. You have more influence than you could imagine. You can't wear all the hats, I found out. As a mom, not all at once anyway, there are seasons. But in the season of intense mothering, you have to choose who you're going to influence, who you're going to be influenced by. If you're a mom, congratulations, you are an influencer, an official influencer. I encourage you, moms, to stay in the game. It is hard, but love first. Love hard. Do what it takes. Kids, students who are listening, hey, a day will come when you will see how the hard stuff, the stuff that seems negative coming from your parents, was usually just love in disguise. Take advantage of those times. I wish I had realized sooner, before I was a mom, what my mom had done for me. I never thanked her properly, or at all, really. And I regret that. Tell your mom, tell the women in your life that you love them, that you appreciate what they do, that you realize that they are giving up their lives for you, that they have put their own desires on hold, that they're spending their days engaged with you emotionally, wanting the best for you. And moms, you know, one day you'll look up from your phone and they'll be grown. That's it. Take advantage of every moment you have. Let's pray. Father, wow, we're amazed we get to call you that. You are our Father. Thank you that we are your sons and your daughters. And today, we especially thank you for this relationship that you set up between us as a family, that as a church We are your family. We are your sons and daughters. That means we are all brothers and sisters and can love you and worship you together. Thank you for the glimpse of your heart that you give to us as parents. We love you. Teach us to be more like you. In your name we pray.
Amen. Hey, well, it is time now to take our offering. And uh, to do that, you just use your smartphone. You can text GIVEWC to 77977. Uh, it's really simple. Or you can use offering boxes. You can mail an offering to church. Um, whatever you do, however you do it, I encourage you as parents, go ahead and let your kids know what you're doing. Let your kids know that you're giving. And the things that we do, so often we, we forget to tell our kids, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. Let them know. Let them know what you're doing and why. Teach them. Teach them to follow God's word. God has blessed um, Every time Carrie and I have stepped out and given beyond 10%, he's blessed us in abundance. You just cannot give God. That's the truth of it. I hope that you'll learn that for yourself. Well, I've asked the worship team to close with a powerful song that they introduced last week. Because I heard this song and thought, wow, this is something we all need to hear. And I think especially every mom. God is enough. He is enough for us. And that hard thing that you're facing this week, he will take care of it. I said Mother's Day is hard for a lot of you, and you may be missing a child, missing a mother. You may have something in your life that's, um, that's just really hard right now. I can't think of a time that I haven't needed prayer. I can't think of a time I haven't needed prayer in my life. And uh, our pastors and... Um, prayer ministry team will be out by the cross fountain in front as you leave. Hey, stop by and just ask them to pray with you. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We, we have the privilege of getting to do this with each other. So I encourage you to stop by. It really helps. If you haven't tried, it really helps to say the name of the loved one that you're missing. When my mom died, like most families that lose a mom, we pulled ourselves together and went on and acted as if nothing had happened because we didn't know what to do. There's so much healing in being able to say, hey, this is who I miss. I just wanted to share that today. I'm, I'm grateful. I encourage you, stop by there. Let them know. And now as you listen to this song, just remember that God is enough, that he can do anything that very thing that you're facing this week that you don't know how you're going to get through the week, he's there for you. He can handle it. He can do it. Let's stand together and worship our Father. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.